Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection, where I share with you some spine-chilling tales of the supernatural and the world of horror. I am your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane. And I am coming to you for, on a dark and stormy night here in this early November of 2019. I do apologize that I did not make, make it back to give you another episode before Halloween, but things got busy, so I am here now to start out our November with some good chilling tales, and I do have a good lineup for you for our episode tonight. First, a few announcements. My new book... Crimson, The Blood Painting, is available in paperback and on Kindle. You can purchase it through any fine online book retailer, including Amazon.com, Books A Million, eBay, or you can get it on Kindle, an ebook. So be sure to check that out. You can also get an autographed copy directly from me at MyHauntedDolls.com. The great uh, updated news with this new book is that it's about to become an audiobook. Are audiobooks more your preference? Well, Crimson the Blood Painting will be out on audiobook by Christmas 2019. So be sure to check that out on Audible or iTunes, wherever you get your audiobooks from. I am very excited about that. We have a fabulous voice actress doing the recording for us even as we speak and it should be available before Christmas so be sure to check that out we had a nice little turnout at the Crypticon last month uh, the weekend before Halloween if you missed out on that I am sorry for that but we had a nice little turnout and hopefully in the future we'll have another event for the public where I can sign and sell books and do a talk and now let's get back to our show, our regularly scheduled program, The Haunted Collection. This first tale comes from across the world, from where I am, here in Birmingham, Alabama. This comes all the way from Russia. And deals with something sort of like what I spoke of in the last episode. Zombies. Everybody likes a good zombie movie, at least if you're a horror fan. But did you know that in real life, there have been tales over the decades, even over the centuries, of corpses that refuse to rest? Our first story, Russia's Walking Corpses. The Russians, like everyone else, fear the dead. But it isn't the spirit of the dead that they fear as much as it is the corpse itself. The folklore of the Russian peasants is filled with tales of corpses that simply refuse to stay put. Sometimes these corpses behaved very much like the creatures that we know as vampires. Here are three old Russian tales which illustrate the point. Tell number one. A peasant was driving his cart past a graveyard one night. A stranger wearing a red shirt came running up to him. Stop, please, and give me a ride. The peasant said, 
pray take a seat. The pair drove into the village and up to the gate of a house. The gate stood wide open, yet the stranger insisted that it was shut tight. A cross had been painted on the gate. The same thing occurred at several other houses. At the last house in the village, the gate was barred. A huge lock hung from it, but there was no cross nearby. Wide open, said the stranger in the red shirt. Suddenly, the lock fell to the ground, and the gate swung open by itself. Inside, they found two people asleep, an old man and a young boy. The stranger took a pail and put it near the boy. He hit the boy on the back, and immediately blood flowed from his back into the pail. The stranger then drank the pail full of blood. He repeated the same procedure with the old man. Then he said to the peasant, "It is beginning to grow light. Let's go back to my home." In an instant, they were back in the graveyard. The corpse would probably have killed the peasant as well, but a rooster began to crow. Dawn was breaking. The corpse suddenly disappeared. Later that morning, when people went to find the old man and the boy, they discovered both were dead. Tale number two. Around the year eighteen hundred, there was a very powerful governor of one of the Russian provinces. He was a cruel and brutal man, but he had almost total power in his province. The governor was about sixty when he fell in love with a young girl. She was the daughter of one of the minor officials in his government. The girl was already engaged to be married to a young man. This meant nothing to the governor. He ordered the girl's father to have the engagement broken off. Then the father was told that he must consent to a marriage between his daughter and the governor. The father objected. It did no good. He was told that if he did not agree, he would no longer have a job. There was nothing he could do. The girl. Who had to obey her father was also powerless. The governor turned out to be every bit as terrible a husband as one might imagine. Most of all, he was insanely jealous of his young wife. He kept her locked in her room much of the time. She could not see anyone unless he was around. But he was an old man. Soon he became very ill and was about to die. Even the approach of his own death did not change the governor's evil ways. He called his wife to him and made her swear that she would never marry again. If she did, he told her, he would come back from the grave and kill her. When the evil old man finally died. He was buried in a cemetery across the river from the mansion in which he had lived. 
For a while, the young widow worried about the threats and the promise she had made. Time passed, and nothing happened. Her terrible husband seemed truly and completely dead. So her thoughts turned out to a young man she had been forced to give up. The same young man that she was almost engaged to. He had been waiting for the opportunity to marry her. And when he asked, she accepted. On the night of the engagement feast, horrible cries and shrieks were heard in the old mansion. They came from the young widow's room. The doors were all locked, and it was very hard to break one open. Inside, the servants found that the girl had fainted. Her body was covered with black and blue marks. When she recovered, she said that she had gone right to bed after the feast. Then suddenly, the dead governor entered the room. He looked exactly as he had in life, except that now he was terribly pale. He yelled at her for breaking her promise and planning to remarry. Then he beat and pinched her until she fainted. At first, no one believed the girl's story. Then a guard at the bridge across the river supported it. The guard said that just before midnight, a black coach had driven furiously over the bridge. The coach was supposed to stop so that the guard could see who was inside, but instead it didn't even slow down. The guard was brushed aside. The new governor didn't really believe the story, but as a precaution he put extra guards at the bridge. The same thing happened night after night. The guards insisted that the toll barrier would rise by itself when the phantom coach approached. The coach would rumble into the, into the courtyard, and as it did, everyone in the old mansion would be overcome by sleepiness. The next morning, the young widow would be found in her bedroom, bruised and beaten. The town's physicians could find no explanation. A priest was sent for to sit by the poor woman during the night. But he too fell asleep and could not protect her. People in the town were beginning to grow very frightened. The governor knew that he would have to do something, so he stationed fifty Cossacks along the bridge. They had orders to stop the carriage at all costs. Promptly at the usual hour, the carriage could be seen approaching from the direction of the cemetery. The officer of the guard and a priest stood in front of the toll barrier. As the coach approached, they said together, in the name of God and the Caesar, who goes there? From out of the carriage window came the horribly pale but quite recognizable face of the dead governor. You know very well who I am. Now let me pass. At that moment, the officer, the Cossacks, and the priest were thrown back by a mysterious force. The toll barrier went up, and the coach rumbled into the old mansion's courtyard. 
The dead man again tormented his widow. She was very nearly dead herself from all the mistreatment. The archbishop was now called. He realized that he would have to take the most drastic of measures, so he ordered that the governor's corpse be dug up. Then a stake was driven through his heart, and the corpse was reburied. After that, there was no more trouble from it. Tell number three. Not all of the Russian walking corpse stories are quite so grim. There is the little tale of the soldier who found himself walking home through a graveyard one night. Suddenly he heard someone or something running after him shouting, Stop! You can't escape me! The soldier turned around. To his horror, he saw a corpse bearing down on him. The thing was gnashing its teeth. The soldier started to run, but he knew that he could not outrun the corpse. So he began looking around for a place to hide. He spied a small chapel and ducked inside. The chapel was empty except for another corpse that was laid out on a table with candles burning in front of it. The soldier hid in a corner. Soon the first corpse came dashing into the chapel. The second corpse sprang up and shouted, What have you come for? I've chased a soldier in here, and I'm going to eat him. Come now, brother. He's running to my house, and I'm going to eat him myself. The two corpses argued. Then they began to fight. The fight continued until dawn. And when the first rays of the sun came through the chapel window, both of the corpses fell down, properly lifeless. The soldier continued his trip home. And those are the tales of Russia's walking corpses. I hope you enjoyed that. Sounds more like vampires than zombies to me. Now we're going to go back across the globe to another part of the world. This next tale comes from the outback out in Australia. And out there they call it The Fate of George Woodfall. This is one of the most famous ghost stories to come out of Australia. During the 1880s, George Woodfall was a rich and respected citizen of the city of Sydney. One day he vanished suddenly and without a trace. His disappearance caused a sensation. There were all sorts of rumors, but no reason for his disappearance could be found and there was not a clue as to where he had gone or what had happened to him. Several years after Woodfall's disappearance, the mystery was solved by Reverend Charles Power and an engineer named William Rowley. Their solution, however, left even a greater mystery. Here is what happened. Power and Rowley had gone camping in the mountains of the Great Dividing Range. One night they set up their camp in a very remote valley. It was a place where few others had ever gone. Near the camp was a large waterfall. 
The water poured from the top of a cliff and fell forty feet into the river below. The first evening, Power and Rowley had just finished supper when they saw the sky grow very dark. Suddenly a violent storm burst over them. It was the worst storm either man had ever seen. They ran for cover in a clump of trees. The furious storm died out almost as suddenly as it had started. There were just a few flashes of lightning left. Power and Rowley were ready to go back and repair their camp. Then they noticed a glow near the top of the waterfall. As they watched, horrified, they saw the glow take the shape of a man. But what a man! It was the figure of someone who had been dead for years. The flesh had shrunk and dried in some parts. In other parts it had rotted away completely. The thing waved its arms and fell to its knees. Rowley was so frightened he hid his face in his hands. When he looked up again, the figure was gone. He turned to Power, but found the poor man had fainted. When Power woke up, he said, Rowley, I've just had the strangest and most terrifying dream. Rowley cut him off. It was no dream. I saw it too. Power thought for a moment and then said, That thing would not have appeared to us without some good reason. What do you think it could be? I have no idea, said Rowley. We'll go up there and find out. Good, said Power. Let's go. But what now? I, I thought we should wait until morning. What, what harm can there be in a little delay? Power smiled faintly. Could you sleep while there's a possibility of that horrible thing appearing again? Rowley agreed with him, so the two men started up the cliff. It proved to be a very difficult climb. Behind the waterfall they could see the entrance to a cave, but there seemed no way to reach that entrance. The two men decided there might be another way into the cave from the top of the cliff. When they got to the top, they found some markings on a tree. Others had been at this spot before. Perhaps the marks were meant to show the cave entrance. They poked around until they found a large hole in the ground. Rowley stuck his lantern in the hole and saw that a sort of crude ladder had been built along the side of the hole. It was an easy and short climb to the floor of the cave. As the two men felt their way forward, they found a bundle of sticks tied together. The bundle was meant to be used as a torch. The torch was damp, but with some difficulty, Rowley managed to get it lit. The torch gave much more light than the small lantern. Power and Rowley saw that they were now in a vast cavern. At one end of the cavern, there was a hole. It seemed to have been smashed into the cavern wall with a hammer. Rowley took the torch and made his way through the hole. "'Who's in there?' asked Power. "'Another cavern. 
not as large as the first. And there's the waterfall. There's nothing here. I, I can see all around. Let, let, let us... Oh, oh, go away quickly. Don't look. But it was all too late. Power was already at his side. What is it? What is it? He said. Rowley held the torch out in front of him. How awful, said Power. The torch illuminated an open grave. At one end of the grave were two skeletons. They seemed to be peering over the edge of the grave. They're dead enough, said Rowley. They, they can't harm us. Let's see what's in the grave. In the grave there was a third skeleton, and beneath it, something else. It was something that was nearly, but not quite, a skeleton. It was the half-rotted thing that had been seen earlier in the evening at the waterfall. It was the thing that had made them look for the cave. Near the side of the cave was a coat. It was falling to pieces, but they could see that it had been made of an expensive material. In one of the pockets was a tin box, and on the box was the name George Woodfall. George Woodfall, said Power, why, he must have been murdered after all. Rowley pried open the box and found it contained a note. The note was George Woodfall's confession. Woodfall wrote that he had come from a good family. While he was still young, he lost all his money. He tried to regain his fortune prospecting for gold. He joined up with three other prospectors. They were rough men, and they had all committed crimes in their lives, but they treated him well. After several months of hard labor, Woodfall and his companions had managed to get together a good deal of gold dust and nuggets. Split four ways, the gold would be a nice sum for each man. But if one man could have it all, he would have a small fortune. George Woodfall decided to make his fortune back all at once by murdering his companions. They were camping in a cave behind a waterfall. One night, Woodfall stabbed the first two before they woke up. The third man woke up and tried to defend himself. Woodfall stabbed him anyway. The man uttered a loud scream before he died. Woodfall said he would hear that terrible scream until his dying day. Woodfall dug a shallow grave and put the three bodies in it. Then he took his gold and went to the city of Sydney. There he lived quietly for a while. He invested his money wisely and soon became a very rich man. A year passed and he had almost managed to forget about what he had done. Late one September evening, he was sitting alone in his home when he heard that terrible and unforgettable scream. He knew at once what it was and what it meant. Then came a voice. George, 
You are growing forgetful. We have come to remind you. You know what happened a year ago. Woodfall tried to speak, but he could say nothing. The voice went on. George, your time has not yet come. Before it does, we will teach you to remember. On Thursday, it will have been one year. We shall expect you at the cave. You will come, won't you? Woodfall could only whisper in response, Yes, I will come. Each year, for twenty years, on the 20th of September, Woodfall returned to the cave to spend one terrifying night with his dead companions. Finally, he knew that his own death was at hand. He wrote out his confession in the hope that it would bring some peace to his tortured soul. Rowley and Power were badly shaken by what they had read and what they had seen, but they had one more act to perform. They buried the remains of the four men in one grave. Power read the burial service over them. He believed that he and Rowley had been guided to the cave that night so they could find Woodfall's confession. Now they hoped that his soul could finally find rest. And that was the story of the fate of George Woodfall. We still have a little bit of time left, so I thought I'd share one more story with you tonight. Being a haunted collector, there should and will be stories of haunted items thrown into my episodes here and there. For our final story, this is one of those creepy tales called Cursed Doll. There was a little girl who really loved dolls. She had a big collection of them in her bedroom. One day, while she was browsing through a shop on her own, she spotted a really beautiful doll. It would make a perfect addition to her collection. She only hoped she had enough money to buy it. How much is that doll, ma'am? She asked the old woman behind the counter. This doll is not for sale, replied the woman. But it's so beautiful, she said. I really want it. The old man, the old woman became irritated. I told you it's not for sale, she said. Why not, persisted the girl. Because this doll is cursed. Oh, well, that's okay. I, I don't mind. I'm not going to sell it to you. But if you really must have it, go ahead and take it. It's yours. But if something bad happens, don't blame me. Uh, Yes, thank you, said the girl, smiling as she grabbed the doll and walked out of the shop. The little girl was so delighted to get the doll for free that she ran all the way home, carrying it in her arms. When she got home to her apartment building, she went into the lobby. It was deserted. She stood there waiting for the elevator to arrive. 
The doors opened and she stepped inside, clutching her new doll tightly. The doors closed, but the elevator did not move. The little girl got scared and began trembling with fear. Oh my God, she thought to herself, is this the curse of the doll? Suddenly, she felt the doll move in her arms. Ever so slowly, its head turned to face her. The little girl wanted to scream, but she couldn't make a sound. The doll's eyelids fluttered and opened. It stared at her with its lifeless glass eyes. Then, its mouth opened and it said, Push the button to go up, bitch! <laughs> yes, that turned out to be a little bit of a funny story there at the end. It made me laugh the first time I heard that. Not only is it a curse doll, it's a cursing doll. <laughs> but you would think that Brain One would tell this child to press the button to go up, or else the elevator is not going to sit. Th- not going to go anywhere. It's just going to sit there. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Two great creepy stories and one last story that puts you in a little more of a humorous mood. And I hope to be back in the next couple of weeks before Thanksgiving to share more chilling stories of the macabre, the supernatural, creepy urban legends, and so forth. So stay tuned for more. Again, be sure to check out my new book, Crimson the the Blood Painting. Available now in paperback and on Kindle, and soon to be on audiobook in the next month. Until then, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for being a fan, and for the love of all humanity, have a happy haunting! Ha ha ha!